Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Well, today we are going to continue in this series that's entitled Wrestling with God. And today we're going to turn to the book of Genesis. Actually, we're going to go backward in our storyline. We, we looked at uh, Jacob early on and how Jacob was a man who wrestled with God and he walked away with a limp because he wrestled with God. Uh, we looked at Jacob and then we spent some time talking about Moses. And Moses was a man who wrestled with God in prayer as well. But now we're going to kind of go backward um, I guess you could say to the granddaddy of them all, to a man who wrestled with God many times in his life. He wrestled with God about God's plan for his life, and uh, many different times God would challenge him. And it would just seem like, God, you promised this, but now you're telling me this, and this just seems to fly in the face of, of what you told me, and then God would come through, and he would wrestle with God, and he would wrestle with God in prayer. And so today we're going to go back a little bit and look at the granddaddy of them all uh, as far as the nation of Israel is concerned. And we're going to look at Abraham. Uh, so we're in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. I'll give you background in just a moment after we read this text. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five. And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, 
the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Father, in the moments that we have together, I pray that your spirit would come alive to us through your word. I pray, Father, that your spirit would come against all distraction of heart and mind. I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, you would just speak clearly to us. I pray that you would speak fresh. You'd speak new into our hearts and lives today, God. Father, we would not even want to begin to try to do this without your spirit. So we are, we are just absolutely dependent upon your spirit to be our teacher and our guide today. We trust you, Father, to teach us how to wrestle with you, how to ask, how to strive, how to plead, how to contend, and how to seek big things from you. So we give you this time and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, to give you the background of this story for this conversation and this dialogue that we just read, to even begin to make sense to you, you got to know something of the bigger picture that was unfolding. We're going to go all the way back in our minds to Genesis chapter 12 where God comes to a man by the name of Abram and he says, Abram, I got big things for you. I'm going to make a great nation among you. I need you to go from your home place to a place that I'm going to show you. And the scripture tells us that Abraham took all that he had, um, along with his nephew Lot and all their possessions, and they set out and they began to venture to a place that they did not know where they were going to go. The scripture tells us that Abraham and Lot, as they would go on their journey, and Abraham, he had a lot of livestock and he had a lot of servants and herdsmen. And, and Lot, his nephew, had a lot of livestock and servants and herdsmen as well. In a place where they were going to land, the pasture land seemed to get crowded. And, and, and so the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham began to have conflict. Abraham loved Lot. Lot loved Abraham. And so they decided that to keep family peace that they would need to divide uh, and go somewhat separate ways. Scripture tells us that Lot would go down into the valley of the Jordan River. And he would go as far as the city, his, his, his encampment, his tents, would go as far as the city of Sodom. Now here's what you need to know about this particular city. Uh, the scripture actually gives us a picture of what life was like in this city. And if you don't know what life was like in this city, then this conversation, this bargaining session, if you will, that we just read about in the text, it won't make any sense to you. The scripture tells us that in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, that in the city of Sodom, the men of Sodom, this is Genesis 13, 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners, and notice this next part, against the Lord. It's not that they in their sin and in their immorality and in their debauchery of life and lifestyle, they were, they were violent, they were inhospitable people, they practiced all kinds of sexual immorality, uh, they were rapists, they, they were just, it was, Sodom was just a, a cesspool. But it wasn't like these were people who just 
were ignorant of the ways of God. Now, they were in their sin, but they just didn't know it. No, the Scripture tells us that they had set their face against God. They were sinners against the Lord. Now, remember what we said last week, that when it comes to God, God in His character, He does not change. However, in regards to what man gives to God, God may change His actions. However, even with that being said, God is always consistent. He's always consistent. When people say, God, we don't want you. We don't need you. We're going to do life our own way. God says, okay, it's like Burger King. Have it your way. And God will allow. And he will bring the due consequence. He will bring the due punishment. He will bring the due penalty to their rebellion against God. But where people turn and they say to God, hey, we're sorry, we are remorseful, Father, we, we have sinned against you. We are, we are going to turn our face away from sin and turn it to you. God is consistent. And he consistently shows mercy and grace in those situations. And this may sound like a weird illustration, but I want you to imagine Riding your bicycle in a 150 mile per hour wind. You're riding right into it. A few weeks ago, we had this big storm that came through Benton. Uh, took the part of the roof off of Walmart. I was in the front of Walmart in my truck when that happened. I'm not kidding you. I thought my truck was going to move. The wind was so powerful, so powerful and forceful. I was driving into the wind. But I want you to imagine... The force that comes against you when you're driving into the wind. But then I want you to imagine this. You turn your bicycle and you start going with the wind. And then you imagine the power of the wind behind you. This is what it's like to walk with God. When you walk against Him, you walk into a force like you've never known before. But when you walk with Him, a power and a force goes with you like you've never known before. So this is Sodom, and this is the backdrop. Now we go, go a little bit further. As time marches on, Abram finds himself still waiting for the promises of God to come into his life. The Lord comes to Abraham and manifests himself in the presence of three men. One of these emerge as a primary spokesperson, if you will. They just appear. And throughout the, the biblical text, the person who speaks to Lord to Moses is referred to as the Lord. It's like the Lord speaking to Moses. Now, here's a, a crazy thought. A crazy thought. What if the man that Jacob wrestled with, who was the Lord, like wrestling with Jacob, what if this was like the same person who wrestled with his great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, some believe that this was like a Christophany, like this is a, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, like Jesus shows up on the scene and he comes to Abraham. 
Some people believe this is like a Christophany of how the Lord would speak and deal with Abraham. And so here's what he does. He, he tells Abraham again, hey, listen, I've got big plans for your life. I've got big plans for your life. And Moses, I'm sorry, and Abraham and his wife Sarah, they're getting much older in age at this point in time. And the scripture tells us that Sarah laughed. Like Abram, he's like 99 years old. She's old. No way. This is not good. They laughed. God re-ratifies, if you will, and confirms his plan again. Big plans, going to make a great nation from you and all of this. And then, it's like Abraham and the man, they go for a walk. And they walk toward the city of Sodom. Now keep in mind, Abraham's nephew, whom he loves, with his great nieces, are living at the city gates of Sodom. And the Lord looks upon this very sinful city that is going against him. And he looks over the city. And this is where the conversation that we just read about takes place. Abraham knows what the resolve of the Lord is in regard to this city and that this city is going to be destroyed because of its sinfulness in a righteous judgment of God. And so what does Abraham do? He begins to wrestle with God. He does more than wrestle with God. He starts bargaining with God. Okay, God, uh, let's suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. God, I know the kind of God that you are. I know that you would not allow the righteous to be destroyed with the unrighteous and the wicked. God, if there are 50 people in the city who are righteous, will you spare the city? God, you, it's, it would not be like you. It would not be like you, God, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And God comes back quickly, very quickly, and says, okay, if there's 50, then fine. Now, please keep this in mind, too, okay? It's not like God comes over to the city and he's going to learn something that he doesn't already know. It's not like he's learning something he doesn't already know. And by the way, when you pray and you wrestle with God, you're not going to bring anything to him that he doesn't already know. In fact, he knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen uh, even before you bring it to him. But here's what we also need to understand. And it, it happens in the Old Testament scriptures all the time, that the writer of the scripture, like Moses in this example, is writing from a human perspective. And so there's figures of speech that are, that are used, and there's times where, where God's given characteristics that are human characteristics so that we can know that God understands and God relates to us, and, and God in so many ways is like us, even though he's timeless, but yet we are in time. It's almost like God was just kind of letting Abraham know that, Abraham, I don't act on a whim. There's no knee-jerk reactions with me. I take everything into consideration. I see the big picture. And for Abraham to see this and to understand this, they go through this bargaining session. Fifty. 
Will you spare it if there's 50? God comes back and says, sure. If there's 50, I'll spare it. Okay, now let's say for a difference of five, for a difference of five, would you spare the city? And they go down to 45. And he comes back, and there's times where, where, Mo, where Abraham, if I said Moses, I'm sorry, where Abraham comes back and Abraham says, but, but Lord, I'm taking on, I'm, I'm, I'm undertaking a lot here. I'm, I'm, I know that I'm but dust and ashes coming at you in this way. It's almost like Abraham gets to a point and he's like, I'm getting in way over my head with God. God's big. And he's great. And if he wanted to snuff me out, he could snuff me out. It's like Moses, I mean, Abraham, he's like, in this bargaining session with God, he's going deeper and deeper. So they go from 50 to 45, from 45 to 30, from 30 to 20. And then, if you notice, right before, right before they hit 10, Abraham says, I will speak only once. It's like he's saying, okay, God, this is the last time. I will only say this one more time. Only once, God. If there are ten righteous in the city, will you spare the city? And immediately, God comes back and says, yes, if there are ten righteous. I will spare the city. God never batted an eye. His response was always immediate. As Abraham wades out into the deep waters of this bargaining session with God, God quickly answers every time. Now this reminds me. Reminds me of a 1980s game show. That was called Press Your Luck. How many of you guys remember this 1980s game show, Press Your Luck? Y'all remember this game show? Uh, contestants would, would basically spin, and, and this board would light up and go all the way around this board in a particular sequence. One guy figured out the sequence, became a millionaire. Remember that guy? studied this all the time. Go around a sequence, and then what would happen is, whatever their, their light landed on, they would get, they would either get a, a, the cash prize or a particular uh, prize itself. And as this thing would go around the board, you remember they'd put their hands up on it. Okay, how many of y'all remember this? All right? Now you put your hands down. How many of y'all don't have a clue about what I'm talking about? Well, we're about 50-50 today. So they'd put their hand over their stopper, Right? And the whole time that this thing's going around, they would yell, they would, they would say, what? No, what? No, what? No, what? No. Come on now. No, what? No. Oh, whammy. No, whammy. No, whammy. And then, boom. And it would stop. Now, if they hit a whammy, this little dude would pop up. And the whammy, this little creature with a little raspy voice, he would come up and he would, he would take all their money. And then they would become bankrupt and they'd have to start back with zero. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? right? Now, for those of you who've never seen this before, I, we'll, we'll show you a clip, okay? Here's a little clip of how this thing would happen, okay? This is how it happened. Big bucks, please. No way, 
Now, here's my question for you. Is that like your prayer life? I mean, you're praying, oh God, would you do this? God, would you do that? And the whole time you're going, no whammy, no whammy. God, just answer my prayer. God, please, 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 please. And then God either says one of three things. Yes, no, or wait. And then you try again. All right, here we go. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he answered my prayer and, and things worked out. So God, I'm going to try again. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. Please, dear Jesus, no whammy. Boom. But with each time, you feel like you're pressing your luck. Because you don't know how far you can go with God in your prayers. Wrestling with God. Some might say it's like pressing your luck. But I think there's more. It's more substantive than that. Wrestling with God is, is not pressing your luck. It's pressing the greatness of God. When's the last time you pressed the greatness of God? When you look at this bargaining session that Abraham has with God, there's a question that comes up that a lot of people never get to. And it's this, this question... What if Abraham had kept going? Now, Abraham felt, you know, that when he hit 50 and down to 45 and 45 to 30, by his reaction and what he's saying, you know, he's, he's feel like and he's going to eventually come and he's going to hit the wall, he's going to hit this whammy. But what if, what if Abraham hadn't have stopped at 10? What if Abraham had, had been like, okay, God, and that last time, I'm going to speak again. You'd say, well, my goodness, wouldn't that be audacious of Abraham? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be like Abraham? What, what, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wouldn't that almost be like Abraham boldly coming to the throne of grace? Last week, we talked about a tenacious tactic that wrestling with God is coming at God and it is being tenacious and it is pressing and it is laying hold of and it can be arguing and it can be even bargaining Abraham gives us that clear example right here what if he had gone on and hadn't stopped at 10 
what if Abraham had said, God, let's go to five? Now, ultimately, ultimately, Abraham's thinking about his righteous nephew Lot and his grandnieces. What if he had gone further and said, God, wait a minute. Give them more time. See, we don't know. We don't know how far God would have gone. We don't know where God would have stopped. All we know is that as Abraham bargained with God, God immediately each time came through and said, Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Yeah, we'll go there. Now, one thing that we do know also is that Abraham understood a much bigger picture of what God was unfolding. He understood the promises of God. He understood the character of God. He understood the nature of God. He understood what kind of God God is. He understood this. And, and the psalmist tells us this about God. Abraham knew this. In Psalm 103 verse 8, he knows, based on his dealings with God, that the Lord, Psalm 103 verse 8, that the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's, that's why he was able to say, this is not like you, God. Just to wipe them out. The wicked or the righteous with them. He understood the character and nature of God. He understood the much bigger plan of what God had promised even into his life. That through his descendants and his family, that God would build a great nation. And you see what is happening here is that in Moses' wrestling session, his bargaining session with God, he starts with the character of God. He starts with the nature of God. He starts with the word of God. He starts with the Word of God. Back to God. When you wrestle, when you pray, when you bargain, start with who He is. Start with His promises that He's made to you already in your life. And then you come back to Him full force that you know and you understand who he is and who you're dealing with and watch and see what he does in your life but what if he hadn't have stopped several years ago when we'd start vacation bible school planning you know almost 20 years ago God just began to give us these visions of vacation bible school and what vacation bible school could be and we would just come out, come up with some incredible, crazy ideas. And over the course of time, we'd throw these ideas up. And eventually, finally, someone said at the table said, let's just go big or go home. And that became a motto. When God would give us visions of things and ideas about things, it'd be like, let's just go big or go home. Let me ask you this. The last time you prayed and you asked for anything. When was the last time you went big?
Could it be that Abraham sold God short? Could it be that Abraham went to a certain place, but Abraham could have gone further? What if Abraham had limited God? Go big or go home. Paul understood this. In Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, in regards to anything that we could ask and anything that we could bring to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, Paul said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or what? To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond. It's not that God can't just do far more. It's that God can do far more abundantly. It's far more times ten. Far more to the infinite power of what he can do. Of what he could do beyond all that you ask or even think of God. James said it like this. In James chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. He said, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not. When I was a kid growing up in church, I learned this in the King James. You have not because you ask not. And then he balances the scales. In verse 3. He says you ask and do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives so when I begin to wrestle with God or even bargain with God I don't start listen to me guys you don't start with God you start with yourself God purge my heart seek me O Lord search my ways Lord see if there be any Thing wicked or impure in my motives, Lord, and set me straight. Purify my motives, O oh God. Work in me before you work in my situation. But then, God, when we're squared away, and I'm hearing your spirit, 
and I'm praying in accordance to your word, and I am praying in accordance to the power that's within me, God, I'm going to ask big. Because I'm going to go big. Or I'm going to go home. Some of you, you haven't asked big. And you haven't asked big enough. And maybe you're afraid. Abraham, I think, would tell us today, walk out on that edge. Press your luck. Press his greatness. And just see what God might do. Not exactly for sure how this story fits. But I think it speaks to the heart of wrestling with God. We last night uh, debated on what we would even entitle this message today. I, I first thought we would just call it pressing your luck with God. But that doesn't do God justice. So we just got more theological and more sacred with today's title. It's go big or go home. <laughs> That's what it is. A hospice chaplain told of a patient who had asked to see him because the patient had been in great emotional distress. He was in the last stages of cancer and was feeling very guilty because he had spent the previous night ranting and raving and swearing at God. The following morning, the man felt dreadful. He imagined that his chance of eternal life had now been lost forever, that God would never forgive him. How could God forgive anyone who had cursed at him and had abused him so much? The chaplain asked the patient, what do you think is the opposite? What do you think is the opposite of love? And the man said, well, that's obvious. It is hate. The chaplain said, no. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. You have not been indifferent with God or you would have never spent the night talking to him. Honestly telling him what was in your heart and what was in your mind. Do you know, do you know the Christian word that describes what you spent the night doing? It is the word prayer. You spent the night praying. We would say, you spent the night wrestling with God. So today, we invite you. Wrestle. Bargain. See what he will do. Put him to the test. He's a big boy. He can handle it. And maybe the reason you don't know that he's a big boy and that he can handle it is because you hadn't pushed his greatness before.
in your prayer life. Go big. Or go home. And doggone it. Let's be a church family that goes big or goes home together. So as you stand with us today, I have no idea what's pressing in on your heart, what's pressing in on your mind. I have no idea what you need to talk to God about today. I have no idea. But the Spirit of God knows what you need to bring Him today. And you might say, well, Brother Allen, listen, listen, I get this. I, I have no big burdens. Hey, I'm good. Hey, I'm good. I don't really need the local church. I'm, I'm good. My, my life's good. I, I'm cheerio. I'm good. I don't need anybody carrying me today. And I'll be honest with you. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes we put off these self-righteous airs about ourselves. Now we've got it all together. And sometimes people don't want to touch us with a 10-foot pole because we think that we've got it all figured out. And those people can't identify with me. I promise you, everybody in this room needs to be carried in some way. And the first way that some of us need to be carried is getting over the fact that we actually need to be carried. I'm good I'm good well here's the deal maybe you don't need somebody carrying you today so here's what you do you spend your time carrying somebody else till you need to be carried because then when you need to be carried you'll have some people who'll be ready to carry you because you carried them some of you act like you're way too good you look down your nose with judgmental attitudes You judge appearances and you miss the heart. We've all been there. For some of us, the first thing that needs to go is our self-righteousness and our pride. We've got to learn how to get on the floor with people and get on our faces. So go big or go home. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.